Well, today is the last message in the series on Capture the Wonder, and I want to talk to you about chasing your calling. Becky and I got to meet and visit with Mark Batterson. He's a pastor in Washington, D.C. at National Church, National Community Church, and just a wonderful, powerful pastor and author of a lot of great books, and we were talking with him, and I just was intrigued by some of the things he had written. If you've never read his book, In a Pit, in a pit with a Lion on a Sunny Day, it's well worth your time. I checked it out this week, and it's still a bestseller on Amazon's best-selling list. But one of the things that we were talking about were dreams. We were talking about calling in life. I had met his father-in-law years ago, Bob Schmidtgall, when I was working and serving in the state of Georgia. And Pastor Schmidtgall was another just an incredible man that I learned so much from, pastored in Naperville, Illinois. And as we listened to Mark share about his call and his vision and why he moved to Washington, D.C. and how he got established there, and it was just intriguing to realize, and I wrote this down in my journal that night, you've got to be willing to chase your calling in life. I've known people who have told me through the years, <clears throat> I've drove past restaurants this week where I've sat with someone who said, you know, Pastor, when I was young, I felt a calling to do this, but I never followed up on it. I stopped outside of one restaurant because that dear brother has gone on to be with the Lord, and he was one of my best friends. I preached his funeral, but sitting in that restaurant, tears coming out of his eyes one day, he told me, he said, Pastor, when I was younger, I had this calling in my life, and I just never, ever followed upon it. And I've wondered at times what keeps people from chasing the calling, what keeps them from chasing the conviction that God wants to use them and has a plan for their lives. In this series, I've wanted you to once again be obsessed with the fact that God loves you. We take that for granted now that we've lost our fascination and obsession with the fact that God really, really does love us. And that because of that, we have the capacity to love like God loves. And if you read my Facebook post yesterday morning, I posted where the, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, the capacity for honesty is to not lie to ourselves, to look at ourselves honestly and tell the truth to ourselves. And so what we've tried to do is come back and capture the wonder of God's love, love in our lives. The second week, we looked at the fact that God is love. It's not that just that God loves but God is love, and it's why you and I are capable and able to give love, not only to our families, but to lost people, and even, as we looked at, to love our enemies. I shared with you my dad's experience that he had one night of just being lost in the wonder of being loved by God. And never, ever, ever forget that fact, and don't ever let that become old or stale in your life. And then the third week, we looked at the heart of Jesus for the church, if you want to know what Jesus' heart is for, it's for you, it's for me. It's why there is a cross. Someone asked me some time ago, says, why are the crosses in Protestant churches empty and the crosses in Roman Catholic churches have a figure of the suffering Messiah there? 
And I have a, no problem with either one, but the reason that the Protestant churches, their cross is empty is because we emphasize the resurrection of Christ and that the cross is there as a symbol for us to remember that Christ laid down his love for us. And we focus upon his resurrection. But in the Roman Catholic Church, and I think this is healthy too, people gaze upon the crucified Christ to, to be focused upon the fact of Christ suffering for us. So either way, whether you have a crucifix or whether you have a cross like we have, the thing that you need to be obsessed with is how badly the church matters to Jesus. You can't say, I love Jesus, without saying, I love the church. And I hear that oftentimes where people say, well, you know, I'm cool with Jesus. It's the church I can't stand. Friends, if the world can't stand the church, we have to ask ourselves, what is it about the church <coughs> that the world can't stand? can't stand. It's why I prayed for you this morning, not that we try to be love and we be kind and we be these things, but that the Holy Spirit would manifest these fruits in our lives that we are loving, we are kind, we are patient, and we are full of joy because Jesus Christ has transformed our lives. And if you're like me, you have to do that by self-discipline sometime. I have to discipline myself to be patient, but my prayer is, God, make me patient. And as one of the men of the church asked me one time, he says, don't ever pray for me to have patience because when you did, all of a sudden bad things started happening to me. Well, if you ask for your heart to be in sync with God, expect to run into somebody that's going to challenge you because it's easy to love those who love us. It's another thing to love our enemies. So we talked about in Christ's love for the church, we want to show up, listen up, roll up our sleeves and go to work and pray up. And then we looked at simplifying our lives so that we could fulfill the call upon our lives. Life gets more complicated the older you get. When I prayed for you this morning, I prayed about college. College is going to be much more challenging than high school. Your teachers and professors in college are not going to care nearly as much as the teachers that you've lived with here in our communities that have known you, known your families, known your parents. But the professors in college, they have thousands of students they're working with. You're going to have a much greater challenge. And if you're living on a dormitory, you won't have mom and dad looking in your shoulder. You've got to prepare. And when you meet Mr. Wright or Ms. Wright and you decide to get married, then there's rent and insurance. You actually have to pay for the water that comes out of your faucet. Did you know that? You have to pay every single time you turn on the light. You have to pay for the air conditioning that's going out your door when you leave the door open and went out on the patio for just a moment. You didn't know that, but when you get married, suddenly you will know those things, and you have to buy insurance, and you have to do all kinds of things, and then a baby comes along, and I want you to know, babies don't just coo, they also poo, okay? So life tends to get a little more complicated as you get older, and last week we looked at how God's blessings upon our lives so that we can become a blessing. So I want to wrap it up this morning. I'm going to ask you just to, to listen carefully and take notes really carefully. Becky and I learned a lesson by not being able to have children. We wanted a family. We really wanted a family. We prayed, God, if you don't want us to be parents, take away this desire from us to be parents. Take away this, this, this desire. We'll be the best aunts and uncles. We'll be the best parents to uh, step aunts and step uncles to kids in the church. And we really laid all that on the line, but God never took that away from us. 
But in that process of us becoming adopted parents and adopting four children, we learned something from the scriptures. God wanted a family. Say that with me. God wanted a family. Say it again. God wanted a family. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5 with me. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Do you know God wanted you? You're not an accident. God planned your life. You are not an accident. There are no such thing as illegitimate children. There may be illegitimate parents. But God created you. God loved you. And there are only two ways into a family. You're either born into a family or you're adopted into a family. And the Bible uses both of those terms to talk about our relationship to him. We're born again, but we're also adopted into his family. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? I am happy to be a child of God. But God's purpose in creating the universe was to gather a group of people like you and me and other Christians that are worshiping around the world this morning. God's purpose in creating the universe was so that he could gather a family that would willingly choose to love him. Willingly choose to love him. It's why that you and I have the ability to say yes to God or no to God. You may listen this morning to this message, and when I give an invitation to receive the love of God and become a child of God, you might say no, and that's okay. We believe in persuasion, not coercion. It's why our mission statement says celebrating God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. It's not faith if it's forced. It's faith when you choose to say yes to God's wonderful plan for your life and to be adopted in his life. We're not afraid of that. We're not afraid of other religions. We're not afraid of other topics. People always send me things about fear about this or that. Listen, we have nothing to fear. Jesus said, fear not. I have overcome the world. I promise you, Jesus' plan will win. Somebody say amen this morning. The best idea always wins. And so, because God has called me into his family, God calls me first, God calls me to share his love. God calls me to share his love. It's the very best news in the whole wide world. The news that Jesus died for our sins, the news that Jesus rose again from the dead, that Jesus has a new life for each of us. Look with me in the book of Romans chapter 10 this morning. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's read that sentence together. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a promise from God this morning. That is a promise from God. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being seen? Sent. That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I have good news. You have good news to share this morning. And it would be criminal not to share that good news. If I had a cure for cancer, it would be criminal for me not to share that cure for cancer. You know, but it can be controversial to share the good news. 
There are people who sometimes say to me when I'm invited to certain events, we're happy that you're here, you can pray, you can share, but we really don't want you to evangelize. And I always take that opportunity to say, that's okay, I won't evangelize because you can't stop me from praying. I can pray quietly as well as I can pray loudly. You can't stop me from praying, and God breaks chains and removes yokes. But then I tell them the good news is the best news of all. You may not want me to share it, but it's the very best news of all. And one day, you're going to hope your friends and your family have believed this good news. And sometimes they'll say, well, what do you mean? I simply mean that you can have your past forgiven, you can have a purpose for living, and you can have a home in heaven because of what Christ has done for you at Calvary. So we want to share God's love. And the second thing is, God calls me to be a peacemaker. God calls me to be a peacemaker. And being a peacemaker doesn't mean that I carry a six-shooter, and it doesn't mean I share my faith like a gospel six-shooter, hoping that maybe, Matt, you cross the line, and I get a notch on my six-shooter and walk around and say, that one, that was Matt right there, you know? That one, this is Allison right here. This one, this is Caitlin, you know? It's not that kind of peacemaker. Look at the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. He sent Christ to make what? Peace between us, himself and us, and he has given us the work of making peace between himself and others. Do you know what God is saying in this verse? God is saying to you, to me, and to the entire world, I am not mad at you. I love you. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You can have peace with God. You absolutely can. One time a guy came to Jesus and he says, Jesus, you know, tell me the Bible, sum up the whole Torah, sum up the prophets, sum up the wisdom literature for me. And so Jesus looked at him and he says, oh, that's easy. I can sum that up for you very easy. You probably know this. You're probably thinking ahead of me right now. And he simply said this, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the Bible. Now, some of you be honest, your school teacher may be watching, how many of you ever cheated and bought cliff notes on one of the books that you were supposed to study and prepare for? Only two honest people, three honest people, don't go, liars go to hell, how many, now I see more hands, you bought those notes and you studied and they keep going up in here this morning. Run to the altar, run to the altar, don't hide from God. Anyway, we bought those notes and cheated to kind of get ahead. But Jesus gave us cliff notes on the Bible, and he says, this is it. God is not mad at the world. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love is not about accomplishments. It's not about achievements. It's not about acquisitions. It's not about relationships. Excuse me. It's not about any of the things that people want you to think. Love in God is all about relationships. Look at what Jesus said in John 20 and verse 21. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The moment you cross the line, and there's a line here on this platform, the moment you cross the line and you say yes to Jesus and you give your heart to Christ, you then, God wants you to share the good news of his love with your friends. And by the way, can I tell you something? The sooner you start that, the more lost people you're going to know and the more lost people you're going to meet because the longer you serve the Lord, if you're like me, you've got to focus upon continually 
including lost people in your circle of influence because we get to know more Christians. We do life with more Christians. We spend time with more Christians. That's natural. We love to do that, but we have to be able to build those people into our life. Becky walked into the foyer one time a number of years ago, and some lady said, lost people, lost people, lost people. I'm so tired of hearing about lost people. Friends, lost people are the heart of God this morning. Lost people is why you and I are here today. We were lost, and Jesus came and found us and saved us, and now he's sending us to share the good news. Can we give him a hand of praise for that today? <laughs> Hallelujah. Thirdly, and I love this point, God empowers me to chase his call by thinking long-term. To chase his call. Most of what you and I do in life is not going to last. No one's going to care in 30, 40 years about what books I read. No one's really going to care about what movies I went to. No one's really going to care about any of the things that people say that I've accomplished. No one's going to be asking questions about how I spent my summer or where I went on vacation. In another two or three generations, as I shared with you last week, probably no one will know my name. Maybe my great-great-great-grandchildren will be sitting down at a computer on something called genealogy, whatever these places they do, and they're going to search and go, well, you know, my, my dad didn't know who his great-grandfather was. And they're going to find out, Dennis Clanton, he was a pastor in Woodland Church in, in Michigan. And, you know, the world may have changed in three or four generations. And they'll say, where's Michigan? You know, we don't know. Nations come, nations go. Nations rise, nations fall. And they may say, well, what was Detroit? Who knows, they might even say, what was a car? Wouldn't that be bad news for Detroit? But you see, nothing that this world lasts forever, but two things that you and I can live in will last forever. That is, if we live the truth and if we love people. Loving truth and loving people matter because one day when you and I get to heaven, we're going to meet people because you gave this morning. They're going to walk up to you and say, thank you. I was a life that was saved. Thank you. I was a life that was changed. You're going to, I don't know you. We've never met before. And they said, but you supported one child, but you supported this feeding ministry in Bangladesh. You supported this ministry in Pakistan. And because of that, I've come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I grew up in the, in the orphanage that you built in, in, in outside of Dakla, Bangladesh. I grew up in the orphanage that you built in the Philippines. I grew up and got an education in the school that you built in Kenya, Africa. Friends, there are going to be people who know you because you've given, or maybe you went on a missions trip and you served, or maybe you went on a missions trip and you built something. Two things will last forever in life, and that's the truth that Jesus Christ saves us from our sins and the fact that Jesus came to save lost people like you and me. Let's give him another hand of praise for that this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. There's nothing, nothing in life more important than helping people determine what their eternal destiny is going to be because it's the only thing that's going to outlast this earth. And I don't mean to be dystopian about this, but follow with me. I don't even know that in the next gener generation or while I'm alive that this earth will last because there's coming a time where Jesus is going to come again and he's going to renew this earth. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and I want everyone to be a part of that. Don't you? 
So let's think long-term and just use the power of the Holy Spirit to help us accomplish that. The former Senate chaplain, Richard Halverson, that I had the privilege of meeting in a college ministry conference some years ago in Indiana, these are some words that he said. I want you to follow along with me on the screen. He's talking to a group of college students that I went to Indiana for a, just for a, a spiritual life conference from all over the state of Georgia. And he says, you're going to meet an old man someday down the road, 10, 30, 50 years from now, waiting there for you. And that old man will be you. And in the case of some of you young women who are graduating today, that old woman will be you. He, she will be the composite of everything you do, say, and think today and tomorrow. His or her heart will be turning out what you've been putting into it. Every little thought, every deed goes into this old man or this old woman. And every day, in every way, you're becoming more and more like yourself. Amazing, but true. You're beginning to look more like yourself, think more like yourself, talk more like yourself. You're becoming yourself more and more. It's why I want you to never lose your obsession with the fact that God loves you. Never lose your obsession with the fact that God has a purpose for your life. Never lose your obsession with the fact that God has a plan for your life. Never lose your obsession with the fact that God has a role for you and what really matters to him, and that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And understand that you have a part in this. In the book of John, chapter 15 and verse 16, read these words with me because they're so powerful. Jesus said this, you didn't choose me, read it with me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. What are you asking God for? What big dreams are you asking? What big dreams do you have in your heart as you get ready for university, for your career? What big dreams are there? Jesus said in Matthew 28 and verse 18, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Be sure of this. I am with you always. If you're asking God to make you a doctor, health care matters. Sick people need doctors, so go and excel in that. But remember, sick people also need Jesus Christ. If you're asking God to, to make you an engineer, engineering matters. We need safe buildings. We need safe bridges. We need safe cars. But remember this, that lost people also matter to God. And think of a way to build a bridge to their heart or their life so that you can share Jesus. If you want to go into business, business matters because it provides jobs. It provides stability to our community. And ask God to give you the wisdom how to serve your clients well and how to build a good business and take care of those that help you build that business. They're called employees. You see, God will use us, but then remember that God wants to use you to reach lost people. Your job is important. I'm not saying dream your dream for the sake of reaching lost people. I'm saying dream your dream because God created you to be the doctor, the physician, the engineer, the pastor, the missionary, whatever he called you to be. You will find fulfillment in that. But remember this, lost people matter to God. You matter to God. And if the gospel is the best news in the world, it is criminal not to share it but it is the most joyous thing in the world to see your lost friends come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and to know that we will meet them and many more in heaven together one day. Can we give him one more hand of praise for that? That just lights my fire. 
Well, let's go to the growth work, and I'm going to finish up this morning. Number one, pray. Pray that people will say yes to God's invitation. Before you talk to them, talk to Jesus about them. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge you, first of all, pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, give thanks for them. Now notice this. This is good. It pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. He wants everyone to be saved. At no time, at no time will you catch me without at least five people, lost people, lost friends that I'm building relationship with on my phone that I'm not praying for and talking to Jesus about daily. Because of this scripture right here, pray always. Pray for them. Ask God to help them. I ask whether they're saved or not, whether they are of another religion or not. I ask God to help them. I intercede for them, and I give, them thank, give God thanks for them. You want to know why I do that? Because it pleases God, and because I know the Holy Spirit is touching their heart. So pray for them. Number two, give to help others go. It's why missions is so important at Woodland Church. It's why we want to be partners with those financially and prayerfully with those that go. It's why we want to take care of our community and to help in our community. When our community calls and asks if Woodland can help with a project or help with something, I feel so honored as your pastor because you've given in such a way that they know that they can trust Woodland to respond. You've given in such a way and we've managed in such a way that we can give outside of ourselves. One of the members of our community came up and says, you know, pastor, your church does more in our community and began to tell me all of these things. It's because we believe in giving. The Bible says in 3 John verse 8, we should help such people who, like missionaries, when we do, we share in their work for the truth. We have a lady in our congregation. She's watching online right now. She's sitting with her husband who's been in a coma for three years and she's listening to the service. She's praying over him. And yesterday I was praying with him and singing songs of faith over him. But do you know what? She still does her ministry, feeding the hungry, taking care of the lost, and serving in the inner city of Detroit. She's got every reason not to be involved with anything but her own little world. But she understands the truth and the impact of this ministry. You don't want to go to heaven sitting on your sofa being comfortable. You want to be involved in the kingdom of heaven because every moment matters for eternity. Somebody say amen this morning. And then... Thirdly, listen to what God has to say to me. God is talking to you in this message this morning. God is speaking to your heart this morning. Listen to him. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. Do you want to know what God is asking today? The same thing he was asking Isaiah. Who will go for me? Look at me, don't miss this. He's asking you, who will go for me? He's not just asking me. He's not just asking a missionary. He's asking you, will you go for me? And he's looking for people like Isaiah <coughs> who said, here am I. Send me. Not too long ago, I was asked to speak to a group of 60-something pastors. And they said, would you preach on the most important verse that you think would help pastors? So after spending some time just searching my own heart and praying about it, this was the verse I chose to preach upon. Because you see, if we don't understand when we worship God like Isaiah, listen, don't miss this, 
For we worship God like Isaiah did. Isaiah was in the presence of the Lord, and we were in the presence of the Lord singing this morning. Some of you had your hands lifted. Some of you were looking up to heaven. Most of you clapped this morning, but when you really get into the presence of the Lord, you're going to hear him saying the same thing he's always said, who will go for me? Who will go for me? And Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Psalm 67 and verse 2, send us around the world with the news of your saving power and your eternal plan for all mankind. And would you stand with me and I'll give you the last one. Why don't you go right now where you can? Go where I can now, today. What can I do now for the Lord? In Luke chapter 8 and verse 39, Jesus delivered a man who was so tormented. And the man wanted to go with Jesus. He wanted so bad just to hang out with Jesus. Wouldn't that be cool to hang out with Jesus? I mean, every one of these kids standing on the platform, it would be so cool for me to get to hang out with them. And by the way, I do want to hang out with you. Uh, You'll be getting a call. I want to take you to lunch. Becky and I want to take you to lunch. We want to spend some time with you. It would be so cool to hang out with you. But imagine getting to hang out with Jesus. Imagine getting to see Jesus lay hands on a blind man and seeing him get healed. Imagine seeing Jesus come to a man who's been lame from birth and he heals him and he jumps up and he starts dancing. And I, I don't trust me, you don't want to see me dance. But he starts jumping up and down. You go, oh, that's so cool. Imagine seeing Jesus break some bread and some fish and feeding thousands of people. You go, oh, I want to be there. I, I want to hang out with Jesus. Imagine Jesus staring down a bunch of religious hypocrites that want to stone a woman because of a mistake she made. And Jesus just stares them all down and says, let him who is out sin cast the first stone. He doesn't have to lift his voice and they all turn around and walk away. And yet Jesus looks at him. He says, no, go back to your family and tell them what a wonderful thing God has done for you. So he went throughout the city telling everyone about Jesus' mighty miracle. And you want to know something? He wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. And he went back to his city and to his family and lives were transformed. Your story matters. Can you say amen? Now, let me just ask you an honest question. How many of you, you just raise your hand this morning and say, Jesus changed my life. Would you raise your hand up? Jesus changed my life. Put it back down. How many of you are willing to obey what Jesus said? Go back. Oh, I love these kids right here. They beat you. Go back. Go back and tell somebody. what you, can, Would you raise your other hand? Now, Lord... There's nothing that pleases the heart of a pastor or an evangelist like Billy Graham more than to see raised hands. But here are people saying today, I will go. I will chase my calling. I will be what you created in me. Maybe like Ian, a doctor. Like Lizzie, Lord, who just finished medical school. Maybe like Blake, who wants to be a pilot at Delta. Lord Jesus, that you're going to take our callings and we're going to find fulfillment serving you in them. But Lord Jesus, we want to take the opportunity 
to tell other people. We don't want to coerce them, but we want to persuade them, and we ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do that. Now, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'm asking you a very specific question. I'm giving you an opportunity right now to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to his forgiveness and to his grace. If you've never given your heart to Jesus or if you've turned away from serving the Lord, you used to really serve him, but you're no longer serving Christ and you want to say yes to Jesus, would you lift up your hand this morning? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see your hand, sweetie. Anybody else? God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for all these folks, Lord, who are lifting up their hands, some of them looking right at me. I thank you for those online that maybe are doing the same thing right now, saying, I want to cross the line and give my heart to Jesus. Would you help them as I pray this prayer with them? Would you just pray this prayer with me quietly? You don't even have to say the exact same words I say, but I want to give you a, a model to pray by. Say, Father, I thank you that I know that you are love. I thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I thank you that I can come to you because you love me. And I trust that what Jesus did paid for all of my sins, past, present, and future. I don't understand it all yet, but I commit my life to you, and I want to chase my calling in the name of Jesus. Now, would all of you pray this prayer with me? It doesn't matter if you're 90 or you're 100 or you're 16 this morning. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to chase my calling today. I pray, help me to regain my first love. Help me to be obsessed with your love, to love your church, to love lost people, to simplify my life, and to pursue what you created me to be with the people you've called me to be with. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. May the Lord bless you. May God give you wings on your feet to chase that calling. May you chase a lion in a snowy pit. And may you kill that lion and come out of there saying, come on, victory, because God's great blessing is upon us all. If you receive that, say amen this morning. God bless you. Go in peace.